This is Joseph Gervasi. I'm here with Jeff Ziga. Uh, mm-hmm. Today is April the 9th, 2013. We're conducting this interview uh, in the Department of Education, Philosophy, and Religion at the Free Library of Philadelphia. And this is part of Loud Fast Philly. Mm-hmm. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Joe. Uh, so, I guess, uh, begin with uh, where were you born and when? Where was I born and when? I was born on August 19th, 1981. Uh, at Lankanal Hospital, right outside of Philadelphia. And is that the town that you grew up in? I grew up in Havertown, which is in Delaware County, right next door to, within the Philadelphia region. Right, right. So yeah. what, is, can, what is Havertown uh, like, or what was it like at the time that you were growing up, at least? Havertown, um, it is a kind of working, working class suburb um, full of lots of Irish people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how it worked out. Um, and, uh, you know, just, I don't know, it's, but I don't know how to describe it other than that. There's, there's lawns. Um, and actually, I, then I moved, uh, like, when I, was, like, when I was, like, two or three, moved to have a Ford, which is next door, uh, and is a little nicer, a little more green space. Um, yeah, right. So growing up with a backyard, uh, you know, the houses look kind of the same, um, you know, that sort of, like, 1950s baby boomer, you know, subdivide all of, like, the old estate manners into housing, pre- yeah. you know, kind of things. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, you know, when the, I know we're going to talk about punk later, so, but, yeah. you know, when people describe about, when describe suburban hell, it, you know, I, I have the same picture of what, I, of what I think, you know, what happened. Did it seem like a hell to you at the time, or were you content with it? Um, I liked, I played a lot of sports growing up, so I liked the space. Uh, Everything was great, and then until that like that twelve or thirteen age comes on, and then all of a sudden it's like a yearning to be free, and it feels like a hell where you're trying to get out of it and down to the city where everything's happening. Right. Um, yeah. Was the city within your grasp as a young person? Were you able to get into the city? Um, I first yeah the first time I my mother worked downtown and my dad didn't um, so. The first time I went downtown um, by myself, yeah, SEPTA will run there. So I'd snuck down, I think, in seventh grade, so how old was I, 17, like 12 or 13. You know, snuck downtown with some friends to go to South Street. Mm -hmm. It was like the first excursion, you know, taking the train. And I remember being particularly, sorry if I'm going to get all like story timey, but but that's kind of what I'm supposed to do. I remember the first time I did... um, I, I knew my mother worked downtown, but I had no conception of where everything was. And so I spent like basically the entire day in fear that she would see me on the street, which <laughs> right. certainly is a possibility, but... But it's kind of a big city. You know, Your yeah. I probably wasn't hanging out on South Street. Yeah, she's working in a, like the, the Bell, Bell Atlantic Tower, you know, so like on the 40-something floor, and I'm on, like on South Street and Rock and Roll Plus. Like it's not, she's not going to go down. Her mom sense might prick up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, think I, I think I feel my son, you know, <laughs> buying a leather bracelet or something. So is this, is this then an interest in punk that is bringing you to South Street? Uh, I get, yeah. Um, I, had a, I grew up with an older brother. He's four years older than me. Um, so I, he could tell his own story about what brought him in there. But it was sort of an immediate, like, down to me type of thing. And I remember him sitting me down in our living room and being like, you got to hear this. And putting a minor, the Minor Threat discography CD on. 
And my first, I was the first, like three so songs. So you're how old are you? Like, when you... Oh, like 11 or 12. Right. Um, I don't remember exactly when. Um, so he's, you know, 15. Yeah, right around there. Yeah. Um, so, and I know she actually got that stuff from Mike McKee because that's how he was playing drums in high school. And apparently Mike heard and was like, hey, we should start a band. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll be interviewing McKee next week. There you go. So maybe you can tell, ask him how he got John Ziga into punk. And then, you know, it spread to me from there. Um, uh, but drums were in our house, rock and roll was in our house, and then, so we were already prone, my dad was already bringing us to, like, The Who and King's concerts. And so he was stuff. a rock guy. Yeah, my dad was a rock guy. We listened to rock, a lot of rock radio and trips and that, that kind of stuff. Um, where was that going? Sorry, like... Uh, so he plays a Minor Threat record for Oh, yeah. and the, the first thing out of my mouth uh, was, all the songs sound the same. Was, and I remember saying it, and then, like... Astute observation. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and I think, like, the ne- by the next day, I was just like... Oh no no no! But they—they're all sound good, you know. It, but it took me like I think a day to like get it. Yeah, there's a point when you're a kid where like every punk band sounds exactly the same when you first hear them, and then then it just starts to gel. Like mm-hmm. if you play it for your mom, you know, it all sounds exactly. Like I had like I remember having that exact reaction. But like it's weird because like it's you know like a kid might be paying more attention, and I don't know. But it's you know if I'm listening to like the different like if, like my father has like all the Who albums. Um, and the, that's like a band that like starts out as like a mod kind of thing, goes into like arena rock. Like they have like total like, you know, epochs of activity. Yeah. Um, and I can tell the difference. I was able to tell the difference between all that stuff because I had grown up and was listening to lots of diverse-ish rock music, like, you know, from different eras, you know, decades. And that's, so like, I like how I was just like, it all sounds the same, just like with like a, you know, Almost like a, like a like an insider's like musician's type ear yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, weird. So there's a point where this then clicks with you. Uh, what is like? How does that work? Uh, it clicks with me. Um, definitely more. Definitely more with my older brother first. Uh, he's like you know, you know, starting a band and then all of a sudden these like weird guys are like, you know, coming around the house um, to rehearse in the basement because we're going to start uh, a band. Um, and at this point. I'm wearing Umbro shorts and play Little League, you know what I mean? Um, and like I'm upstairs and like deathly afraid of like these, like, you know, weirdos wearing like grungy ass clothes and stuff like that, right. like in the basement, you know what I mean? And yeah. like I'll like try to go down or, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like a very curious, um, you know, like what's going on down here? Who are these, like, you know, and like all the weird, like it's like, you know, it's like you're totally shocked, I felt. Like, or I remember being shocked. There's all these like ideas, you know, like, you know, like you know, coming at you like from immediately. Like, you know, why is that guy's head shaved? And why is, what's he talking about straight edge? And, you know, why is that guy, you know, my computer on Prodigy's skinhead chat? You know what I mean? Like what, like what the hell is going on with like all this kind of stuff? So it was like, it was confusing, but like, Utterly exciting. I would and, almost have to explain what Prodigy is to people who are going to oh, have no but no, we, we don't have to do that. You no, know, it's cool. It's uh, the, one of the uh, first, like, you know, early internet adopters in the house, early computer, we had computers growing up, um, and, you know, Prodigy was one of, like, the first, like, you know, like, sort of, like, prepackaged services where, like, I guess the early attempts were, like, to, you know, the internet existed, but it was, like, you know, they tried to sell it to you, like, oh, you should get Prodigy, it's the internet, but, like, it also contained all this, like, other dumb stuff kind of around it, so you felt like... I remember having conversations when I was little, and they're like, oh, I prodigy. Like, oh, I can't chat with you because you have uh, CompuServe uh-huh. or AOL. Right. And so these so things you, didn't mesh at all. They didn't they talk to each other, but, like, it's, you know, if you knew, you know, the internet, like, you could, like, get to the other places. But, yeah. like, you, it wasn't, like, intuitively, like, 
packaged. So a lot of the early interneting was on like the Prodigy message boards. Mm -hmm. There you go. And I guess when you were when you were a kid and you were seeing all these weirdos coming around, there probably weren't um, other weirdos. Jen, so sorry for this. Way too loud. Okay, okay. It's amazing how the sound projects from here. Okay. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. We'll keep it. Okay. The librarian does and we have to keep it. <laughs> I'm not here telling my story about how I got to punk when I was 11. I'm <laughs> taking off my pants right now. Okay, uh, so anyway, I suppose that at the time, there, there weren't other kids of your age who looked like that. I mean, these were just like the older kids who looked that weird. It was all, old, all people that were older than me, and I'm trying to think of who my first uh, like friend was that was like punk. Um, let's see. Shit. In sixth grade, I remember meeting a kid in homeroom and like figured out that he had like long grungy hair and lived in the area and played guitar. And it was, uh, and so after like the summer between sixth and seventh grade, so it was just like we're 11. Um, I remember him saying like, hey, this summer we should jam, I play guitar, you play drums. And this is funny to explain it so quietly, by the way. Um, so I remember uh, finding him, it was, it was more like, you know, we're into Nirvana and Rich or whatever. And so I remember riding my bike to his house, and then he gives me like his guitar, like a, and then he takes his amp, and then we rode bikes back to my house, and played, and then like we had to like you know do it in reverse uh. on the way home. So that was like our first like jam session. So we had to like bike our instruments like to another house. Um, the birth of the DIY ethos in you. Right, and so like and then so I remember uh, getting. Uh, I remember like getting him sort of into like punk stuff like via what I was getting, um, and then uh, man, he was like some of the other. There was yeah, it's you know, there's always like, like skateboardy kids and you know kids are getting it about that like sixth or seventh grade kind of time. So you just find other kids in school. Yeah, it's like yeah. how you that's how it works. So when do you start to go to shows in Philadelphia? Does it start in Philadelphia or is it you know the, the, the first shows I went to were my. Uh, brother and Mike McKee's shows for this band Justified Action and they were uh, I think the first one was at Sabatino's Pizzeria and I don't remember where that is uh, yeah I was just going to ask you what um, I, I just it's, it's somewhere I, in Philly or, might, or was it might be in Westchester it might, okay. I have no idea I went with my I got a ride to the show with my dad my mom and my granddad's mom <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing that like we all went. I remember like eating pizza, and it was like one of those. Oh, they were actually at the event. They were at yeah. They, no, no, they, we all went. I remember it was one of those places where like, um, it you know some pizza. Some guy owns a place, and when you went to the front door, they asked you who you were there to see, and bands got paid out depending on who they brought. Right. Um, and I remember, uh, I just remember that because and thinking about that now is just like, really like it's, it was one of these places. Um, I don't remember exactly who they played with, and I remember the second one that I went to was a place called Breakers, and I think that was in Upper Darby. Okay, um, yeah, that sounds familiar. Maybe you can ask Mike. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, and they probably don't exist now, but I remember those were the first two ones, and I know that I got a ride from my family, or my dad, to that one as well. Um, I'm trying to think of the first place that I went by myself, or like without a grown adult with me. Um, there was like, various like high school sponsored like you know like the the Asian club is having a coffee house and like really it's just like a bunch of high school bands playing yeah. that kind of stuff um, sort of at the same time like I you know caught the bug and was starting to play as well as you know my brother um, and so I remember with this kid that I was playing with his name was also Jeff um, we found this other kid Pat that you know 
played guitar. So then now we have a guitar and we have a bass and we have a drums. And we booked ourselves to play the summer after seventh grade. It took us about a year of whatever um, to play in the, someone's backyard for their birthday party. Um, and the cops came like five minutes in, in Hampertown. Like, yeah. And it, it, like Norse complained, you guys gotta stop. And so it was like, oh, great. Um, and then maybe a month later, another friend's having a birthday party and the cops came to that one too. So my first two shows ever were shut down by the police. That's good, that's very punk. Very, very. <laughs> were you starts, playing? Started out right. <laughs> were you playing some form of, of punk hardcore or something, you know, this band? It, uh, you know, I, I have no idea. It was probably like, you know, like someone learns like kind of a Nirvana power chord type riff, you know what I mean? And it's yeah. just like that. I remember there were no vocals. I remember we were just playing because our singer hadn't written the words yet, but he was there. This dude named Chris. So you were an instrumental band. So you we were an instrumental, like... Grade 8. Yeah. Um, did you do thing. any Steely Dan? Uh, we did not do Steely Dan, but we had a great name. Um, yeah. We were rehearsed in the basement. There's a lot of tools lying around and all sorts of basement-y type things. And we were like, what should we name our band? And I remember when we were looking around, and there was a screwdriver oh, sitting there. So we, my first band was named Screwdriver. We didn't spell it like the we famous yeah. racist screwdriver, okay, but, but uh, you know. Um, so <laughs> well, you were in great company, <laughs> and then your van flew off the edge of a mountain or something. <laughs> oh yeah, so that was so, so yeah, so that was that was like first band experience, and then it was like, you know, punk just comes out of that. Yeah, and it never stops. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, so eventually, you you become part of R five. Are you there at the at the beginning of that, or how does that work? Your um, relationship. R five. R five is. Am I skipping ahead too much, or should I? Okay. No, it's it's. Yeah, you know, I, I have a thousand idiot stories of like you know like figuring out first bandy type stuff. Um, it's. Well, I can I can I can I can wrap it up in 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 there. Um, so first, uh, first like, like real, there's like a real punk band kind of thing that we did um, with the same people and we were called Manual 7. And this is after we had like since started sneaking downtown and going to um, Stoller 13 mm -hmm. uh, and various things. Um, the Unitarian Church, I think probably you and Cabbage Collective did yeah. like the first show that I'd ever been to, which was like an Avail matinee with Nine Iron Spitfire. Uh, yeah. um, and it was like a Sunday afternoon and I remember like, Going to that was like 95, 94, somewhere around there. Um, so, you know, those sorts of things. And then you get hooked up with, you know, into, you know, people doing shows there. And this kid, Pat, that I was playing in a band with, and we were called Manual 7, um, talked his way onto a show uh, with um, Vinyl Society, Risen Machine, and a band called Burn the Priest that's now called Lamb of God. And they're like a humongous metal band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we opened up that four band show at the Baltimore. Uh, the Calvary Church on Baltimore. So uh, that what was that wasn't a cabbage show then. That was somebody else doing something. Yeah, I don't remember there. who that yeah. was. Um, it was just somebody. Um, so like in that world, and then we find out there's a dude, you know, living the next town over, uh, named Sean Agnew, and he's like, you know, going to shows, and you just kind of start finding people at these various things. And he grew up in the suburbs near me. Um, I'm sure he has an entire saga of like how he started to book shows and like do a whole thing, but. Um, you know, you, if you're kind of around and then you're friends with someone doing the thing and then you help them. Um, and it, pretty much, I think, R5 operated like that um, up until, uh, you know, the schedule gets heavier and heavier and I don't even remember exactly when. I think I, I was there um, starting out, like, right before the uh, now everyone gets paid to, to do stuff. Um, mm -hmm. There was, like, still a period of, like, you know, like, 
hey, I need help. Can you stamp everyone's hands? Can you check, you know, like yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, people are just basically tripped into helping, mm-hmm. you know, a DIY endeavor. Um, and then at a certain point, it's sort of just like, you know, everyone's getting, you know, like, you know, paid to work the show. It, it got to that point. Um, and I think that's like 2003 or four, five. I honestly cannot remember. Um, but I've been variously involved uh, with R5 since then. Um, doing nothing but like production work, you know? I, I so remember, production work, like what you want to Production explain, work, but, you, know, you know, picking up speakers, setting up a PA, telling, you know, like giving, you know, like, hey, who plays now? You know, get, get your stuff out of here and bring it somewhere else. Um, make the people pay the money. That that sort of stuff, you right, know, right. biking around and doing busy work. I've I haven't ever booked a show in my life, or I mean, not like a real one or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really do anything like that. But I've you know, sort of like a lot of behind the scenes, um, down in the trenches type, yeah. um, you know, labor basically. And you've seen this thing grow from something you know, really small to pretty yeah major, to like major operation now. To yeah to be in you know it's and it's it. It, it everything grows organically like that when it's just like you know like all of a sudden like there was like all of a sudden it dawned on me that like hey you know what like you know rather than like calling people day of the thing maybe we can have a group of people that you know and we'll sort out who shows up when and make sure we have enough staffing you know mm-hmm. um so and that was like i remember that it was just funny to like you know like get organized like that and it's just like you know you identify needs and you just sort of address them and all of a sudden, people are doing specialized little pieces of, you know, whatnot, and then all of a sudden you're here today, and you know he's, you know, part owner of a giant, amazing state-of-the-art venue, and you know also still you know doing all sorts of, you know, weird gigs all over the place, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know top to bottom. Yeah, I guess that level of efficiency is kind of the reason why there's been this longevity because a lot of times these operations are sort of half-assed and, and because they're half-assed they just kind of crumble under their own weight or they're, you know, just poor organizational skills and stuff. Yeah, um, it's, it, 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 it takes a few things, I guess. It takes, like, you know, like someone that's, like, really, like, you know, driving and trying to, trying to make it happen and has, like, a picture of, like, what it is that it could be and that's, like, all Sean, you know what I mean? And then, you know, but you, you know, you just need basically like, you know, people that are just willing to just, you know, work, you know, mm-hmm. and, and people, people try to do it all themselves. Like, do it yourself is like a, you know, it can be a, a community of people doing yeah, it themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, the selves can, can you know, be. It's a, not like a, you know, like a, the DIY, like you just, number one rule in business that you can't do it all yourself, you know, so you need to like have, you know, yeah, you, know, you need help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, uh, but yeah. It's, I guess, like maybe like the DIY ethos. I mean, that's what we're talking about. This kind of stuff is, um, you know, allowing it to, you know, just figuring it out, allowing it to, you know, just sort of grow and prosper, and uh, you know, no one's yelling at anyone else, you know, yeah. unnecessarily, or no one's like trying to be the boss. It's you're yeah. just like, guys, we need to do a, a show here. Can everyone just do something? You know? Yeah. So how do you sort that out? Right. Well, one of the questions I've asked this, some of the younger people that I've interviewed who have kind of grown up where there's always been an R5. I mean, clearly, you know, you and I were around before this thing existed. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, for younger people who come into the scene, you've got these shows that are really well organized, that are safe, that are not staffed by a bunch of bruisers who are going to you know, beat up the audience. Um, they're not in, held in dodgy areas, so they're really easy for folks to get to. 
So the question I was asking was, did they feel that they had, um, that younger people weren't being exposed to a, a DIY ethos of themselves doing the thing because very few cities in the country have something as, as well organized as R5. So for younger folks, why bother doing it if you've got shows every night of the week, you know, run by people who are not, mm -hmm. you know, scumbags? Yeah. Um, like, uh, I mean, it's, I think all sorts of people have, like, I've, I think I've been privy to, like, all sorts of people having, like, various opinions on it, um, either by coming to the thing or by, you know, like, mouthing off on the internet somewhere about it. Um, and it's, part of that is, like, you know, it's, you're feeling like we're booking way more than punk stuff. You know what I mean? It's, like, there's, the, without getting into a giant conversation of, like, music industry dynamics, but, like, you know, the internet has, like, democratized this whole thing, and now, like, there's, you know, bands just thrown into, like, a heavy touring rotation that have, you know, not done it, you know, the previous year, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? There's a lot of, like, people aren't grinding out, you know, slugging it out in the clubs, and then they make it big kind of thing. Um, so there are younger, there, there are people that, like, grew up with it and that are, like, this is like the first place that I came that like I saw that it could be a different way like you know it's just really great thank you you know and they're off like you know helping out and doing something else or like oh and then I went to college somewhere and I started doing gigs or something mm -hmm. um, and then there are I mean there's and there's like indie you know regular people that listen to WXPN now not to rag on WXPN but uh, that like just are like like you don't have a water fountain here you know <laughs> you know and you're just like maybe that isn't booked in the correct place, you know, so um, there's people that just, you know, so those kind of people just basically take it for granted and probably think it's shittier to operate in that way rather than, you know, like, you want lights, you want the snack bar, you want a pretzel with mustard, you know, I don't, <laughs> right. you know. so they're getting ice cream now, so they yeah. can't complain too much. <laughs> um, so, and but yeah, there are, like, I feel that there are, there are people out there doing the other stuff. I don't think that, I mean, if, are people turned off and they aren't like having to figure out how to do it and understanding how it came to that point? Maybe, but I don't, I don't know, but there are, the, there's a lot of, there used to be a lot more, I think, of people that were like, you know, fuck R5, you know, they don't even represent like the real whatever, you know what I mean? Right. You know, this is the real whatever and it's like, there was always, there's, and like, this is like a one, you know, people are just kind of saying this stuff because they, they, they think that like, you know, R5 is like this business that like, you know, wants to do all the DIY shows and like some weird, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and it's like, I don't understand like if those people just, you know, don't get it or what, but like, one, this is America, you can do whatever you want, you go have another show, that's awesome, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's no, like, competition about, like, you know, like, we have to do all the DIY shows. Like, it's, I mean, there's a few, like, spouts of internet, like, feed, like, blowback that I'm thinking of in particular, but this is, like, actually said, people, like, you know, like, you know, like, they don't even do, like, punk, you know, like, it's, oh, that's, that, that's, cool. that's, like, that poser shit, and, whatever. and you're like, what? But, but what stops them, then, from doing the show that they they're want saying, to see? I mean, the instances in particular that I'm thinking of, these people are doing shows, but, like, they're, like, casting, I mean, it's like a punk stance to, like, cast yourself in opposition. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of these, that's part of the reason why I identify so amazingly with punk is that, 
part of it is like you know the, like you're just taking the anti stance as a default. It's like a skeptical, yeah. like you know you got to prove it kind of thing. Um, and it's like a weird quasi something that's always defined by what it isn't rather than by what it is. It is yeah. um, so I understand like why they think that, but like you know it's not like I'm like you know go do a show. That's awesome. That's like, what you're supposed to be doing. Like, but why why are at what point does our fact enter the conversation about what you're doing? Like, we're not. We have nothing to do with what you're doing. You're allowed to do whatever you want. Like, why are you even talking about right. that? Clearly, you're not sending out agents to stop that, you know? There's, there's, you no, know what I mean? there's no force that is, yeah. that is like, rising against that. You know, so it's like a really weird thing. Um, and that's not like everyone. Um, it's just like, a, that, that was like a really weird, like, 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 that was a really weird complaint, you know, to think about. And I'm like, what the... Whatever, you know, yeah. but um, I'm, I guess, you know, like anyone, there's going to be detractors for anything, so, sure. you know, whatever. Yeah. So, and maybe they don't understand, like, this is, this is what, how it, we used to do that, and now we're doing a different thing, and, you know, someone has to be doing that other stuff now, and now you're doing it, and everything's working the way it should. Right, You know, exactly. we're yeah. not even in the same category, necessarily, like, you know, it costs a lot of money to do a show at the church, like, you know, like, whatever, you know, up in, you know, fit band's first gig or whatever like that, like, you're not going to just walk right in there and go in there, like do everything else. Yeah, um, and it seems like there's been an upsurge in, in recent years of house shows and, and little tiny events around there's the like, city to like, kind of take up that, you know, that slack. There's all sorts of people doing all sorts of, like, little cottage industry, like, you know, like, booking arrangements and, like, organizing it, so, like, you know, under a different name and a banner, so there's, like, a brand, sort of, of, like, you know, like, a, like a, you know, like a, I'm trying to think of like you know Guild is like one of them. Um, um, Plain Parade was another one that used to do a bunch of stuff. Um, Tony that does Dead Industry. There's I mean there's all sorts of people doing that exact thing. Um, and a lot of them like for instance uh, you know this, these these dudes Tony uh, and Dead Industry they you know all of a sudden they're like working with the band that comes through or whatever like that and the band's now getting a lot of heat and they don't have a place where they can put it like and they reach out and you know we'll be like oh you need to do it at the church great you know we'll work it out for you and then it's all of a sudden you know i mean you're working together to yeah, do yeah. The, the you know grandly the big pictures like it's it's all happening the way it should right right no, i don't yeah. know yeah uh, i guess there's one other uh criticism that came up in in one of the interviews and then i'll kind of move on away from that but mm -hmm. um uh, there was a feeling among some women that R5 was a boys club, that, that no women had ever been employed to work for them, and that it was, you know... Daniel Redden dudes. has, variously, maybe like two times. <laughs> not that I'm trying to play like, oh yeah, well, no. I'm not arguing on someone's behalf, I'm just throwing out that the, yeah. that was something that was said, and I was curious, you know, if you had any particular thoughts about that. Um, has it, is it something that, that's been brought up to you or other members of R5 that... It, it's, um... I don't, no one's ever like come in with like a, you know, I really want to discuss this with you. It's like a serious issue. You know what I mean? That like, you know, your exclusivity for, you know, in the community, like, you know, no one's, it's more like, you know, people that we are friendly with, you know, sort of giving a shit for like, Hey, why don't you, you know, whatever. Um, you know, so I don't know. It's not like it's. I don't know, it's, I'm not sure how to explain how people get hired to work at R5. Because I don't think that's even quite the right term, you know what I mean? There's people that just kind of hang out 
and sort of are absorbed right, right. Um, by it. Um, it's not like they're submitting a resume or there's an interview process or you know, you know Sean's sitting behind a giant desk. Or so like it's yeah, you know, I mean it's I, like I don't want to seem like I'm trying to like justify like you know, like I don't know it it hasn't happened. Um, has anyone been interested to work at R five? You know like the utterly glamorous job of mopping up a linoleum floor so that a daycare center can operate after <laughs> a this sucks show. You know what I mean like mm-hmm. you know so um, I mean. Yeah, that's other than it. Um, other than that, there probably isn't a good reason. And you know, if anyone's out there that wants to, I'm sure I can point you in the right direction. You there know? is a massive PA that needs to be lifted right now. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. And oftentimes there are. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, yeah. It, it, uh, it's, it, yeah. It, it has been brought up, uh, and I've been given shit about it. But I'm just like, uh, I, I'm not R five. You go to say, talk to Sean. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah talk to Sean about that. Uh, I'm sure he'll have something funny to say if you talk to him about that. Yeah. Um, I feel like I want to say more about it, but I'm just like, I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> come work. Great, you know. Yeah. I'm less and less involved um, uh, because I own my own business now. Yeah. Well, I um, guess we should talk about recently you gave birth to a baby. Uh-huh, a, that's a true. ice cream baby. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how this, this project, this business came to be? Uh, sure. Um, um, where do I even start? I'm trying to give the quick version. I've given the story a lot of times. Um, so there's, uh, so I started an ice cream business. Uh, it, you know, named Little Baby's Ice Cream with two friends. Um, one of whom is named Pete Angevine, and I'd known him for about ten years. We used to teach music at the same rock and roll summer camp, um, and he knows um, a guy by the name of Martin Brown from. They're both like jazz performance or. Martin graduated, he dropped out of jazz college, which is cool. Um, so they know each other from like jazz music world, um, but they, you know, and I know Pete from music world, so, and Pete used to, you know, play in like more like weirdo art bands that would play like Danger Danger Gallery and like, you know, a bunch of places. So he, you know, vaguely understands punk culture and, you know, is, you know, into it. And same with Martin, but like there's like, I feel there's like a, like the jazz scene has its own like organic, you know, sort of like, gigging world that like outside of and it's not necessarily like punk oriented but it, yeah. it's, like it's the same probably thing. a weird and insular world considering that most of the world hates that type of music as and, well yeah so. and they're all like they're all like playing for each other and they're like you know like oh, i got a gig in an art gallery you know what i mean it's like the same thing it's yeah, just like yeah. it's a different audience than whatever um but it's the same thing you're, you know you're, you're making a thing you're doing it yourself and all this kind of whatever um so and they were both home ice cream makers they decided to you know Literally, one of their friends was like, oh, you make ice cream at home? Oh, he makes ice cream at home. You guys should talk about it. So they talked about it. And uh, I, like most people, continually joke about like, things that you should do. You know what I mean? People are like, oh, for Halloween, we should start a, you know, a Danzig tribute band that sings about waffles and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, um, hey, we should, you know, I, I want to learn a burrito truck when I get older. You know what I mean? I want to... I want to, you know, we should open, hey, and I remember being at, uh, in the, at the lunch at the rock and roll camp and joking with Pete and being like, oh, it's just, you make ice cream at home? Dude, we just start an ice cream shop. It'd be funny, you know? We'll call it Peter and Jeffrey's House of Ice Cream, you know? And we'll just make weird stuff, you know, like whatever. And it's like, you know, it's a joke and it, you know, there's no follow-up. And then all of a sudden, two years later, like, he yeah, made something that funny anymore. Two, yeah, and then he makes, you know, like, hey, we should start, you know, we should make ice cream. We should do it. Um, we can't have money to start a store. Let's buy a, we don't have money to have an ice cream truck. 
let's get a food, let's get a tricycle and you know, get it licensed from, by the health department and now and I and all this stuff and we can do like festivals and bring it to concerts and all this kind of stuff. And so that's what, how it started. It was like, we're just going to start making ice cream. We're just going to start selling it. And you right. know, now you're not making the ice cream, right? Um, or do you now make the ice cream? I do not. I've, okay. you know, I can, I know how to operate the ice cream machine if necessary. However, okay. when we divvied up the jobs, um, at the very beginning, it was, uh, you know, Martin was, wanted to do that. That was like, uh, and he was honestly making a lot of the stuff in his house. And I'm the only one who didn't have a home ice cream machine. I guess I was just kind of a weirdo who could ride the right. tricycle. So they don't want to be riding the tricycle around. No, right. I think I'm in because I could ride the tricycle. And right. it was probably crazy enough. Right. To, and you're very gregarious too. So it seems like you're a good person to kind of sell a, the product because, a, you know, a you're talker, like, you know, yeah, yeah. willing to make a fool out of myself in public. You know, yeah, but also you're kind of a cheerful, outgoing guy, and that kind of certainly helps if you're selling any kind of product. And you know, especially ice cream, tricycle, especially ice cream. Um, so yeah, so so he won. Uh, we you know, we sent him to ice cream college, the same Penn State course that Ben and Jerry famously, or actually Jerry Greenfield, not Ben Cohen did not go to the course, but famously oh, there's did, an ice cream know, college. Uh, there's a weekend long course at, uh, that Penn State offers that's infamous because um, Ben and Jerry's talk about you know how Jerry went there to learn how to make ice cream. And yeah. I, um, I'm sure other universities in like their dairy and agriculture program have like a similar kind of thing, but this Penn State course is like sort of infamous um, in the ice cream industry. So, you know, we paid for him to go to that. Um, so, and then all of a sudden he's the ice cream maker. Yeah. So if you can focus on that, you know, then right. you kind of like divvy up the responsibilities um, and sort of like, you know, sales and Twitter account and, you know. Yeah. And you, you established this as a proper business. I mean, like, yes. you know, through all the... It was, if you're dealing with food, food is like a really regulated, you know, thing. Um, so it was necessary, even though we, you know, we, I, we would go and sell it anywhere, but, you know, it seemed that, uh, you know, if we wanted to have any sort of opportunities to do like fun festivals and stuff like that, that we would need to be a licensed, you know, entity. Right. How did you feel the city of Philadelphia was in terms of, uh, you know, establishing this thing with not a vast amount of money? I mean, were they, could you navigate through these waters successfully without being driven too bonkers? Um, it, uh, it, it, definitely with food, it's, um, food, it costs a lot of money. Like, it, uh, using the right materials to, like, have a kitchen space costs a ton of money. And if you don't have that, like, you know, like, you can rent, um, Building a commissary space is utterly, extraordinarily expensive. So, what yeah. kind of space were you using then? I mean, it's you're just doing it out of the house, actually. I mean, they were doing that at first before we were the thing, and then you know, one of the things you have to make it in a licensed, a commercially licensed kitchen. Um, so, over any restaurant, like that would rent a space. We started by trying to find a restaurant that would send the space. There's always a community kitchens, basically that people run catering businesses out of and stuff like that. There's one off South Street, there's one up and I'm sure there's a whole bunch. Um, but there's places that will basically just rent you kitchen space. Um, and so through another mobile food vendor, we found, you know, a kitchen space where we could have a little, like a keep our stuff and kind of have, you know, have the stuff there. You know what I mean? Um, so that's what, uh, that's, the, that's the story and I'm sticking to it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so clearly this thing's worked. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, now you have a physical establishment. You've probably gone to every gig in the city over the course of a few years. 
know, we, the, we have talked to probably everyone doing any festival in Philadelphia. We opened up, uh, we have our own kitchen now um, in the back of 2311 Frankfurt Avenue, which we call our world headquarters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're opening up a second store um, in West Philadelphia, 4903 Catherine. Yeah, um, it's going absurdly well. May um, I suggest a third store in Roxborough? The beautiful you, neighborhood of Roxborough? You, you may do whatever you want. <laughs> I don't have the DIY ethos. I want you to do it for me. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to be answering a question right now, but other than to say, yeah, it's going bizarrely well. It's, it's frustrating. <laughs> How is it frustrating that it's going so well? I mean, like, you know, like, the, it's, it's popular, you know, like, it's popular to normal people. So, you know, people have, like, expectations of, like, you know, the operations of a restaurant, you know, like an ice cream parlor, you know, or whatever. Um, so I'm just going to juxtapose this with, like, you know, working at R5, like, you know, I can do kind of whatever I want. I can, I, if I were that kind of person, I could act rude to people and I probably would be fired. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, like, suddenly, like, you know, yeah, you I am now with the world. I am now responsible in a very responsible position as the owner of a thing where, you know, you know, I'm now interacting with people that aren't going to a gig. They are, you know, out with their date or their parents, you know, and like stuff like that. And they're going and we're serving food. And it's like serious. You could make a bunch of people sick if you just didn't do everything right. You know, if you didn't clean all this stuff, you know what I mean? And it's, you know. Yeah, and if, I guess, suppose if you have an incident with someone, uh, you know, it, it could spread like like wild over the internet, uh, you know. It, it could. Yeah. You know, it's all these things with, you know, they have a bad experience there and, you know. I don't know, you know, it's, I mean, you look at our Yelp page, there's some people that are not thrilled with their experience there. They're also probably insane and and trolls, so I mean, I guess that's... Maybe, you know, it's, uh, you know, as part of, as the, uh, I learned a new term, it's uh, community manager, is what someone does when they're, do the the social media and the sort of Q&A with customers. So I guess I do yeah. that for little babies. Uh, so right. um, I do look at some people's comments and then on, like you know in various places on the internet. I'm just like, what are you? What like who writes this? All right. Now this is, this is inspire you to write back like fuck you, you cocksucker, or are you just like do you not care? I mean, how do you? No, I mean it's uh, the analogy that I like to use is um, I'm not too big of a rap music fan, but I do kind of you know like I like some of it. Um, and uh, I remember reading an article about like, um, it was an article about like the, it was a Jay-Z and Nas were beefing, um, but it was an article about rap beef. Um, and sort of like, you know, it, it's a, you know, up and coming rapper from some places, you know, starts beefing with like a big rapper, you know. Yeah, of course, to get a name for himself. The big rapper, you know, if he responds, is considering the up and coming rapper to be as a threat. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you ignore it's, him, it's just like a little fly biting the hide of a... So what do you, what do you, what do you, what does one respond to, you know what I mean? To give it, to lend it the credibility, you know, that the person wants to give them the recognition. Um, yeah. So constructive criticism, I don't want to pretend like I don't dignify, you know, criticism for my endeavors. Um, I actually openly encourage people to tell me what they think um, because... I've never run a food service business before, and uh, you would like to do it as best as possible. So, right, you know, right, right. hey, let me know. You know what yeah, I mean? Well, I mean, like, 
the writer Harlan Ellison would say everybody has a right to an informed opinion. You know, yeah. so but you you just got to invite them all, you know, you know, and weed through um, the junk, uh, which you know it's part of my day. Uh, you know, whenever I sit down in front of a computer, is to weed through the junk. Um, uh, and I, I, I guess anyone you know running any sort of business or doing any sort of thing is gonna get like get sort of like you know junky feedback and just bothersome noise, you know, and you have to figure out like who's you know an actual. What's it, who's asking an actual question and who isn't. Um, so anyone's going to get that sort of stuff, but we are inundated with an, ex, an extraordinary amount of weirdos writing us on the internet because we went ahead and made a weird video to celebrate the opening of our store last year. Do you want to describe this to the listener who may not have seen it? Um, uh, a black background uh, and a apparently ice cream covered figure Starting in close shot on the face. Um, oh, geez, we're gonna get yelled at in the library. Yeah. Um, camera pulls back, uh, and you see that the figure is taking spoonfuls of a, its own head and eating it. <laughs> while the voiceover, um, I described it, sort of like extols the outlandish virtues of some unknown product uh, that kind of make it sound like snake oil. You know what I mean? Like it'll, it'll make you happy. You know, it's just all this yeah. like funny stuff and. We thought it was like mildly amusing and like you know and well done. Was right? this commissioned by by you or by someone a, just by a, f a friend? Um, dude lives in Oakland by the name of D Doug Garth Williams that Pete knows from high school. Oakland, California. Um, Oakland, California. Yeah. Um, he's he was back for the holidays and I was visiting Pete and he was like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we want to make cool stuff or whatever. I know you do video stuff. And he's just like, oh yeah, let me send you a treatment and he sent us like a, a treatment for there's actually two of them that are together. They're, it's like a two part thing, and we were just like, he's gonna make this. This is cool, you know. We were like, and we thought it was, you know, great. So we did that, and then uh, you know, we put it on the internet. We expected it to be like, everyone watches it and thinks it's funny or whatever like that. But it like, you know, in a day, it had a million views and it went viral, and every website wrote about it all over the place. And like, the sheer amount of like crazy stuff that like, like we had to like, I, we had to like, it, well, I, I filed all the. The correspondence away, so I am actually making a zine about it. Oh, that's a good now. idea. Um, and just I've cataloged it and you know the different types of responses or whatever. But like, you know, initially Pete's phone number, his cell phone number was you know the booking contact for events, and he had to change it because people were calling him up. And this a woman called from like Buffalo, New York, and was just like, I cannot believe you would put something like that on the. On, on the internet, my child my child won't stop screaming, and you should be ashamed. And like he's sitting there, and I'm like watching him like take this abuse from this woman on the telephone for like five minutes. He's a business owner now. Yeah, and I was just like, and I was just like, hey, um, I'm I'm gonna take your phone number off the contact page, and he's like, can you do that, please? Like, I don't yeah. whatever. So then we put our shop telephone number. So, um, and there's like another telephone number. Um, you know, you know, if you would like to yell at us at our, about our internet video, you know, please call this telephone number. Um, and it's a Google t Google Voice number that I have that saves as a wave file the voicemails. So, oh, that's great. So, so you've got a collection of those. There, by the time I did that, we didn't really get too many more, but, you know, I wanted to save them and just listen to them at a later date when I was able to deal, process that sort of stuff. Yeah, right. Um, but like, yeah, like any and everyone wrote us, you know what I mean? And just was like, just all sorts of really 
insane stuff like related to it and only I mean you watch something on the internet you're not gonna like say something constructive um, but people were saying constructive stuff but then there's people that are just like I'm just gonna write a really weird email to these people you know what I mean yeah and just it, it was like it was utterly overwhelming and I don't know maybe kind of not want to do it ever again but it was looking back on this like oh he wish you do that again like you know but then you did another amazing project recently you built a pipeline maybe you could explain this to the listener which I think is a fascinating operation um, it's a I do think um, thinking about all the holidays that exist on earth I think April Fool's is my favorite holiday um, wait more so than Arbor Day which is coming up in a few weeks more so than Arbor Day I'm going to admit that to everyone <laughs> yeah, nice job Stalin yeah um, so April Fool's Day, you wanted to do, you know, something funny, um, and, you know, I guess, you know, as a business owner, you want to do something that's going to actually, like, you know, have, like, some sort of, like, advertising and marketing tie-in. Um, so we, uh, a woman by the name of Violet over at Mariposa was like, hey, you guys seem funny, you want to do an April Fool's prank? Um, and we're like, oh, yeah, that, okay, that sounds cool, you know, what do you want to do? And you're just like... Well, I had an idea, like, let's pretend that you're gonna, we're going to build a pipeline um, running from Little Baby's shop over uh, to Mariposa and we're going to serve, like, soft serve, whatever. And I was just like, okay, whatever. Uh, that sounds funny. So we went uh, and she set it up and we went to the basement and took some, like, photos because, like, photos always are, like, evidence of, like, truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, I wrote this, like, you know, press release. And I was like, here, this is the form that I'll take on April 1. We'll send out a press release and we'll... You know, so I wrote a press release and she drew this map with like, you know, pointed dot. It looks like um, yeah, the yeah. Family Circus cartoons when he's running around <laughs> town. Little Petey's going home. Where is exactly. He going? There's like loop-de-loops in it and stuff like that. And we're like, let's just make it really bizarre and I'll write the thing so that like, you know, you know, Mariposa Food Co-op and Little Baby's Ice Cream announced joint partnership. Like it has like an onion-esque, like, I mean, that's my reference for it. Like a, you know, like a blandish title so that people are like, oh, let me click on that and read it. And then it just gets more stupid and absurd as you go on. You're supposed to get, but I guess that, I don't know if I didn't make it or people maybe have a tendency to not read things all the way and just like, well, look at a headline. Look at a headline and see pictures that prove a point. There are dots and lines. But no one's going to read all the way to the bottom. Right, um, right. Or if they do, you know, if they do, great, they get that it's a joke. But there was... Um, one of, uh, I walked into the store later that day and someone that works for us was like, are we selling soft serve Mariposa now? <laughs> and I was like, what are you kidding me? Like, and um, so it's one, it, it, the point was that it was supposed to like highlight the fact that we sell pints at Mariposa and you know, we ran a special. On yeah, the, yeah, later it says, you know, and the pints for real are actually a dollar less or whatever. Yeah, so it's, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're working with one of, uh, you know, our wholesale retailers, um, and we're actually, like, you know, the tie-in is that, like, you know, we're actually good, you know, you get a, if you know about this thing, and we're talking about something that actually does benefit us, but, you know, under the guise of, like, a funny misinformation prank joke, kind of whatever like that, and I guess the, the, the the detriment is putting misinf like you know like you need to tell your story to be successful in business and by putting fake information out there you might think you know that that's damaging to the story that you are trying to tell um, but fuck that there's a clock right there C clearly we yeah. you know, are not concerned yeah, um, you know, about always doing necessarily the wisest decision <laughs> uh, and then if it's I mean it's got to be fun otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. Um, right. One of the reasons I went into business was that I didn't want to do something that wasn't fun. Right. So, right. yeah.
Now, I saw uh, Bull sent me, uh, my brother Bull uh, sent me, who works for Mariposa, mm -hmm. a link uh, to, I guess it was, I don't know if it was Penn or Drexel's uh, website of like different news stories, and, and they were all real, and one of the stories was your story. So, I, and I wrote to him, I said, did they realize that this is a joke? And he said, I don't know. But it's not, it's just like a list of stories, and you know, I mean, ultimate, right there. ultimately, if I'm driving new customers to Mariposa, I'm not sad about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, you know, yeah, I'm, there's nothing offensive in there anyway. I mean, you know, it's not like you're making Hitler flavored ice cream or something. So exactly, just, you know, we're just, you know, just innocent goofing around. Um, yeah. It, uh, I mean, yeah, you know, it's. It, I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, I like pranks. You know, yeah. I really like pranks. Yeah, yeah. Very good. There you go. So I guess to sort of sum the thing up, clearly you've kind of moved, you know, through all these different DIY projects. You know, I don't see you probably didn't have too many like very conventional jobs. You know, if you, I, I mean, I've held I've held like a lot of weird, you know, jobs and stuff like that. And it just, you know, like I met and one in particular, you know, um, worked in like a like a an office with you know you get here's your time off a crew and you know, yeah, yeah. all this kind of stuff and. Um, yeah, just like it just it felt like, you know, the noose tightening around the neck of the sure. tie. You know, and <coughs> yeah, it was yeah. like I, I think I, I know that song. <laughs> I, I felt that. You know, yeah, yeah. like I did not, I do not do well with that sort of structure. So now, having done this for you know this many years, do you feel like it would be impossible to go back to that world? That you can only kind of do your own projects. It, I mean, so seeing seeing the other side of it, um, like, you know, just having something where you're basically just doing whatever you, not whatever you want, but, like, you're responsible for everything, you know what I mean? You have to think of everything, you have to plan, you have to, you know, have a vision. Right. I mean, also, and try to interject, when we were talking before the interview, you are talking about all the different offers that come into you, and you kind of have to feel these offers from, you know, major corporations, some of whom you probably don't want to be associated with. Right, you're, make, you're making, like, large decisions about, like, you know, like, the direction that you're headed in. Um, seeing the other side, of, you know, you, you, you work at a pizza shop, you're like, you know, you don't have to, like, sit there and make sure people come in the door so that you're, you have the boss has money to pay your hourly wage. Like, seeing the other side of that, like... I guess I, have, I mean, obviously, I have a newfound respect for the people that, in a weird way, I have a newfound respect for the people that own things and have to make those decisions. And I see that there is, you know, some people just want to like, you know, just go to work, you know, and then they just, you know, five and they're done, and then they have the rest of their time to do, you know, whatever they want. And so I see, I see that, and you know, maybe at some point later, like you know, I work like a funny job that I don't really care about, and it gives me just enough money in my pocket and the free time to watch movies three nights a week yeah, and, yeah. You know, but probably the, now this probably baseball. leads into all aspects of your I mean you're probably constantly yeah, connected now, to this now project, it, this right, right now it's like a it's like a it all yeah like you know wake up go to sleep and everything in between is you know sitting and doing stuff or worrying about what's in planning and you know doing all these things and yeah it's like that's really all that I'm doing um I'm glad to hear that it's working, though. That it's working well, and that it's, I mean, I guess know, it, it must be a satisfaction in knowing that you're doing something that people genuinely love and appreciate. It's it, yeah, definitely. I mean, ice cream brings people joy. Ice like, cream brings people joy. Probably don't bring as much joy. Right. It's maybe the, a different kind of joy, but yeah, it's one. Yeah, it's one of these things where it's like you know, like it, you know, if someone opened a hardware store and ran it effectively, like they should get like that sort of satisfaction and joy of owning a business and you know doing whatever, but like. You know, just it just amplified with ice cream. You're just like 
it's just nothing but joy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like in you know reality, like you know, sixteen hours a day, like it's a, it's a particular kind of hell that for yeah. the those of us you know that are you know responsible you know for it. But right. and we should mention for those who might not be familiar with the business that there's also vegan ice cream. So you're kind of catering to you know other folks who don't want to be part of you know it's there. You know, so when you make out the vision, you know when you're I guess when you're you know you do a thing called exhumed film. So you're like you know setting these you know sort of you know aesthetic parameters about like what you want to do. Right. Um, and so we you know starting out we did have those conversations. And one of my big things was that like we you know. I have too many vegan friends. Like, we need to make vegan ice cream in addition to the dairy ice cream, and it can't. We are not going to do that thing where, like, oh, and you know, we're you know, we also have like a vanilla soy-based vegan ice cream and a whatever other thing. Like, there needs to be the same amount of attention, care, detail, and consideration for these things. It needs to be as good, um, and not just because like I have vegan friends or something like that. But it's you know, like when you open it up and you allow your store to be accessible to anyone it's a food store so we're talking about like people's dietary restrictions whether they be you know self-imposed or you know genetic or whatever it is like we need to be accessible to everyone it's ice cream everyone deserves the the consideration and you know the emotional uh you know euphoria involved with treating yourself to an ice cream cone right and you know so we you know you know that was that was how that rolled. Okay. Yeah. I was just like, we have to. That's one of that's like one number one things that we have to do. Yeah, I think that really worked to your advantage, especially working with a place like Mariposa or something where there's going to be a lot of vegans and who mm-hmm. are going to you know say, oh, this this company's great because they actually care about us and they're giving us you know like you were saying equal, interesting interesting yeah, options in, interesting options yeah and then like giving it equal weight to yeah. not just like and then there's this yeah and it's not just like a you know it's, I don't think it was it was easy to convince them that that was necessary um, that we should spend that time and money and we had to i mean there's a lot of r d on that end and you know all of a sudden like you know martin who makes all the ice cream's job is you know not to just like make dairy ice cream but to, it's like a different product you know what i mean we serve it like you know alongside it you know yeah. in the same sort of way but like the making of it and all the other kind of things it's like a different it's like so now he all of a sudden has two jobs and not one job mm-hmm. so he had to learn how to do that and they don't teach that at the penn state course we had to figure that one out on our own there's no like vegan ice cream course really um but it was necessary what am i answering i lost my train of thought uh well that, that was that was basically it just about you know i lost my train of thought it's been a long day <laughs> your train derailed uh okay well i mean that's yeah that's good i mean we're just talking about the vegan option and you know dealing with outside forces coming in and making requests but yeah there you go. Oh, oh, so yeah, no, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, it being an easy business decision to make as well as like a personal one. Um, was that um, places like I get, I'm friendly with um, uh, uh, Mike Barone and Dave Anthem, the Grandpa House. Dave used to do did some time at R five as well, which is how I know him. As well um, as prison. As, I didn't know that, but that's <laughs> awesome. Vegan prison. Oh, really? Yeah. That's, yeah. Did he? Like, did he fire bomb a? <laughs> no, this is, a total, this is a total lie, and, and not particularly funny joke. Well, sometimes people listen to shit; they don't know what the fuck it was talking about. That'd, that'd be like one of those things where if they catch, you know, like the whatever, on yeah. the, with their, the listener, if they shock them awake again. Um, but I know him, and they started like a completely vegan cafe. Um, and then uh, I also know Mark Mebus, who started a completely vegan pizzeria. Um, so, and they stayed open, um, proving that there is a viable 
underground. Yeah, it was kind of riding the wave of a zeitgeist, but but the wave, you know, has legs in a sense. Like yeah. So it's. I mean, it's you know. So I mean, they proved that it was possible, and they could you know do something that was completely vegan. So why would we not just you know, from business wise, we're just hedging you know what we're doing. You know, it doesn't have necessarily the aesthetic purity that their place has, and you know, if someone you know, is going to go down and, you know, just really to ask questions and really, yeah, you know, it's made in the same machine that we use good manufacturing practices to, you know, do it on different days and all this other kind of stuff, you know, for all sorts of reasons. But, you know, if you're going to go buy the ice cream in the shop, you're still supporting the business that made the dairy ice cream too. So we can't please necessarily everyone. Right. And I'm but sure those hardliners are out there and they probably won't come in, but sorry you know yeah, so yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you yeah i mean there, i know people who live in cities that are supposed to be more progressive than philadelphia who are really jealous at the amount of vegan places in philly that they don't have in say portland where you think that they'd be all over the place they come here and they're just amazed Citizen, citizens bank park where the philadelphia phillies play number one rated stadium for vegetarians uh according to PETA. wow that that's amazing uh, so philly not so bad after all <laughs> Um, well, I guess we should wrap this up. Uh, and this has sort of been like a uh, like a Philly after dark conversation. Once we have to talk about like sensual, intimate voices together. <laughs> and in, if I can just get on record in my defense, it was very difficult to keep my voice down and to organize my thoughts and have them come out of my mouth in a organized way when I had to sit there and think about if I was talking too loud. So I hope I don't sound too stupid. <laughs> you sound fine. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Jeff. And good night.